Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Hall, motivational speaker, full-time psychology student, mama four, and military spouse. On this podcast, I share helpful life tips and real stories from inspirational women. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today. Enjoy the episode. Hey guys, today I'm here with Sheena. Sheena is an international wellness life coach, and she is a second time podcast guest. And I know lots of you who have been listening to the podcast for a long time wanted to hear the rest of Sheena's story. So if you haven't listened to her short story yet, I have it linked up in the show notes so you guys can listen to the first part and then listen to this. Or if you want to listen to this and then listen to the first, first part, that's fine. I'm not judging here. <laughs> Um, but Sheena, I'd love to have you pick up where you left off. You were getting ready to go on a pretty big trip last time we talked. Yes. <laughs> and actually, since there was no end date, it wasn't really a trip. It was more a major lifestyle change because we had no return date to come back to land once I stepped on that boat. <laughs> well, since you had no return date, obviously you're back off of the boat now. So we're going to get to that later, how that came oh, about. Yeah. But I'd love to have you share with us what that was like living on the boat. What are some things you learned? Tell us your story. We want to know, because that is something that probably everybody listening has never experienced in their life. Yeah. And I actually didn't think I was ever going to experience it either. I mean, how many times does someone come into your life and say, let's live on a boat and travel with no return date, you know, just undesignated schedule of travel. Um, so that was a very overwhelming idea for me. I had no idea, you know, how to approach that. I had never lived on a boat before. I certainly had never sailed before. And I certainly had never lived internationally ever. You know, and, and to, to have this idea of we're going to step on this boat and we're going to leave from Norfolk, Virginia and go wherever the wind takes us is an overwhelming feeling when you really think about it. Um, but that's what I did. I stepped onto a boat and I untied the dock lines and the boat drifted away. And then two years later, <laughs> I came back to land. <laughs> And during the course of those two years, I learned so many things. Um, I kept a very active journal and I wrote down everything that I experienced and learned and which I'm hoping I'm working now on transitioning into a book. But um, I'd love to share some of these things with you and your listeners today. Um, it's, first of all, it changed, absolutely changed my life. I learned an incredible amount about living with nature mm. instead of fighting nature. You know, we had to collect rainwater to boil our pasta. We were collecting rainwater to wash our clothes. And when you are depending on this water that needs to come from clouds and not from a faucet, you become very aware of weather mm. and you become very aware of like your water budget. So if it looks like it's not going to rain for seven or 14 days, then if you're in a dry season of a country, you know, then you have to, to monitor your water usage. And 
so it just, you just become very familiar with weather and with seasons. And um, I think one of the coolest things is you develop new skill sets anytime you are in a new place in life. And I, I know nothing about wind. You know, I knew nothing about wind. I spent most of my time, you know, before sailing, I spent most of my time inside and, or in a car. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I go from home to car to workspace, back to car, back to home. And I was inside and I never really got to play with the elements. I never really got to spend time with the sun. I never really got to spend time with the wind. And so I didn't know it. I wasn't familiar with it. They weren't my friends. They were things I learned about in elementary school in a science book. But once I was out in nature all of the time, I noticed that my skin developed these new skills and I could just stand outside and let the wind touch my skin and I would be able to know, oh, the wind is 28 knots right now. Ooh. Oh, the wind is 40 knots right now. Oh, the wind just changed direction. And it's like these little whispers on your skin and your body just knows. And, you know, that's a skill that I never had before. And, and I'm a redhead and I get burned <laughs> by the sun just by putting my arm out of the window. Uh, so when I went sailing, I was very nervous about that. And uh, a, I, had a, I have a functional medicine doctor who told me, spend 30 minutes out in the sun every day and your skin will adjust to accepting to receiving sun. And don't put on sunscreen. Just go out in the sun and let your body learn how to interact with the sun. So I did that every morning. I would wake up as the sun was rising and I would go outside and just sit out there on the boat, clothes free, and just let the sun talk to my body. And by the end of those two years, you know, as a redhead, I was not having to put on as much sunscreen or cover up as much as I usually would have to. My skin learned. And yeah, I was smart about it during peak hours. I wouldn't go out there, you know, just totally willy-nilly carefree. But, but my skin really did learn how to receive the sun the same way it learned how to read the wind. And that to me just opened my mind to so many things. Like, it made me curious about what other skills we are capable of, of embodying. And we have no idea because we've never put ourselves in the situation for our chameleon-like instincts to adjust to new, new skills. Yeah, we're pretty um, pampered. pretty pampered I was pretty pampered yes and you know going out there on a boat and you're having to survive on with with the elements and um, the elements can change so quickly and uh, one of the other things that I really love is you know everybody has a romance with the ocean Mm -hmm. A lot of people have a romance with the ocean, and, but their only knowledge of the ocean is, is right there at that shoreline. And the ocean is so much more than just the waves that we see fall on the earth at that shoreline. 
And now I feel like I know the ocean from the inside out. You know, I've been 30, 40 miles offshore where you can't see land at all. And I feel like I've seen the inside of her heart where the water is so deep that your instruments on your boat can't even tell you how deep it is because it's beyond what our technology can know. And these things are just incredibly powerful to me. And I can close my eyes and still, and still see them and still feel them. And it has just made a new depth, new depth of who I am as a person. And now when I go to the ocean and I stand on the shore, I, I just feel like I'm with an old friend, an old friend that I've known intimately for, you know, years. And uh, that's a beautiful gift. That's a beautiful gift that sailing has given to me and that I will always keep with me and actually got a tattoo to memorialize that part of my life um, because that's just, it's, it, it changed my life. Yeah. And you have, you said you were international. So mm -hmm. what places did you guys visit when you were out there? Yes. Yeah, so we went all the way from Norfolk, Virginia to South America, to Columbia, South America and back. And then we did a lot of the countries. We hopped to a lot of the countries all the way down to South America. So we did all, we did the East coast of the United States. We did the Bahamas. We did Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, all of the Virgin Islands, all of the British Virgin Islands. Then we made a huge jump over to the ABCs, which is Aruba, Bonaire, and Curacao. And from there, we did a huge jump over to South America, to Colombia. And then we started working our way back up, which we went to Panama. We went through the Panama Canal and back through the Panama Canal. And then from Panama, we sailed around Cuba and then came back to Key West. And in between there, there are hundreds of islands, like small little islands that nobody really knows about. Some of them people live on, some of them people don't. And uh, we went through all of those islands as well. We spent a month with the indigenous people of Panama, the Kuna people, and they are amazing. And they are still very much living on the land. And um, it's just memories that I'll never forget and photos that I just absolutely treasure. And um, I essentially spent two years with very little cell phone service. So that also changed my view on connectivity and what I'm connected to, because the, the less I became dependent on cell phone connectivity, the more I felt connected with nature. Mm -hmm. And the more I had time to be connected with nature. Um, so that traveling and, and the course, it took us two years to do that. And uh, it was interesting and unforgettable experience. I feel like that two years went by so fast though. Didn't it? <laughs> when you said two years, I was like, really? It was two years you were gone? Like, yeah, it was almost two years. Right yeah. about two years. Mm -hmm. That's insane. Yeah. Just... It went by in a blink of time. Yeah, it does. It goes so fast. And um, it's, it, time is a funny thing. It's, it's much faster than we think it is. 
Oh yeah. Like I swear my oldest daughter's 16 and I'm like, wasn't she just a little person like right. just the other day? Like it wasn't and the older I get, I swear it goes by even faster. Like it's true, but I think it's really important to note that because we don't we we put off making decisions, you know, we put off we we thought of a million reasons why we should put off travel. Mm-hmm. Right? A million reasons. My job, his job, money you know, what if we can't find food? You know, what if the boat breaks down? Maybe the boat's not ready. Maybe we're not ready. You know, we, we, we sat there and made a whole list of all the excuses. And then we thought about time. And we thought about the fact that in 10 years, we were going to be 40. And then in 10 more years, we were going to be 50. And we were like, we have to go now. We have to go now. And that's, Really the mentality I take now for any decision, you know, if you want to invest in yourself, invest now. If you want to do the travel, go now. If you want to get married, do it now. If you want to have children, start that process whenever you feel ready, but don't, don't put it off to where you're like, you can convince yourself you're not, you're not ready. I mean, cause you'll never feel sure. You'll never feel completely ready, you know? So you have to go after what you want. And, and not wait for everything to be lined up and checked off of your list because that list, that list is a forever list and just take the list with you, fold it up, (laughs) take the list with you, but definitely go. (laughs) So what are some hiccups you guys ran into when you were out there on the water? I mean, for two years, there had to have been some. Oh, yes. (laughs) Um, Absolutely. The hiccups can range from little tiny things uh, where like a part of the boat breaks in the middle of a storm and, and you're like tying something together to make sure you got through. And I mean, those little hiccups, um, you know, you can't, you run out of, we were on solar power. So if you're, if it's a not sunny day, it's full of clouds in the air, then you don't have any power for that night. You're using candles. Um, so we, those kind of hiccups, um, to big hiccups to where, you know, we were sailing off the coast of Colombia, South America, and we got pulled over by their police, their, you know, border patrol. And they came up with their big boat, jumped on our boat with, you know, automatic weapons and did an entire search of our boat. And they threw a dog on the boat and the dog was sniffing everywhere and, you know, so these kind of things, they happen when you're traveling and, you know, you cross borders, they want to check all your documents and they don't speak English. And we had to learn how to speak Spanish. And these are also things that you're doing and changing constantly as you're adjusting to your surroundings. Um, So yeah, our hiccups were ranging from very tiny things to very scary things to, um, you got to take the sail down in 40 knots of wind. And, you know, it's, it's, it's very, um, you have to calculate what you're doing. You have to be very aware. You have to be very communicative to the people that you're working with. And uh, there is no time to sit here, you know, like I think about in, in land life, like we would all be so comfortable that you would get to sit down around at a conference table and, and discuss things. 
But when you're out there in the middle of the ocean and, you know, you got 40 knots of wind and the sail is, is fighting and it's making the boat shake because the wind is too strong, you need to drop that sail immediately. There is no time to sit around a conference table and think about what should we do? <laughs> you know, you, you, or when somebody's boarding your boat and with automatic weapons and throwing a dog on your boat. I mean, these are things where you have to trust your instinct and you have to go and you have to make a decision and then you have to go with it. And then you react based on what happens next. And this is, it just makes you a stronger person. It makes you really start to be um, aware, hyper aware of who you're being in the moment. And cause any, any moment can go bad very quickly. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's not, it's a different world. It's not the world where, you know, a mass email gets sent out to a team and people are just being passive aggressive in their reply alls. It's like, we have to have real conversations right now with an automatic weapon right beside us. Yeah. You're not being passive aggressive in that moment. (laughs) You're not even being aggressive. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. There is no passiveness and no aggressiveness. But I mean, these are, and and the people that, the actual people that we ran into, for example, the the Colombians that did come onto our boat, they were incredibly kind. And just because they carry automatic weapons, that's just their protocol. But they were very kind to us. And, you know, they were telling us the story of once they saw that we were Americans, they were telling us stories of how they want to take their kids to Disney World. So I think it's easy to uh, look at other countries and think, oh, danger, danger, danger. But that is just not the case. There's danger everywhere. And, you know, we had such great experiences in all of the countries that we went to. And um, we have forever friends now all over, all over the islands spread out all the way down to South America and back. Oh, what a wonderful thing. And speaking of wonderful things, what were some of your highlights? What were some of your favorite parts of doing this? Like, what are some of your favorite destinations? All of it. Yes. Well, the lifestyle is just totally different. So um, when you're out there traveling, you wake up with the sun, your body, your body naturally makes that shift. Um, So you wake up with the sun and you go to sleep once the sun is down. If that meant seven o'clock, that meant seven o'clock PM, but your body makes you follow the sun. So the lifestyle was really one of my favorite things about it. Everything was so natural and so oriented to the sun rising and the moon rising. Um, That was my favorite. Also traveling, getting to pick where you go next. And it's not like you're having to sit at a computer and and pick a plane ticket. No, you're, you're looking at a map and you're pointing to any place on the map and you're figuring out how to get to that place on the map. And then you show up there, you get there, you arrive there. And then you get to explore this new place and these new people and you figure out, you know, how to, how can, where's their grocery store? And and they don't really have grocery stores in all these places. Sometimes it's, it's a woman's house and she's just known for, she's famous for making bread. And then you go to this other person's house and they're famous for raising peppers. And, you know, you get to learn these new communities and, that's a beautiful thing to, to walk up to a place that you have no idea where you are or who you're going to meet. And, and you rely on local knowledge to really open up the pages of that book of that place. 
Yeah. And, that's, and you're not there to use and abuse the people or the place or the land. You're really just there to get to know it and, and see the, you know, the children running to and from their schoolhouses, which they're not these big schools pumping AC. Like it's these little tiny houses that are with windows open and, and you can hear the kids reciting the alphabet in, in multiple languages and hear them practicing their math problems. And, and this, it, it, that was my favorite part of just getting to know these places and people who go about their day every day, the same time I'm going about my day and getting a glimpse at the life that, that they live. Yeah. Which is way different than the life that we live here. <laughs> it's way different. I mean, the pace is slower. The, the values of every country is different. Uh, the, you know, the values of every family is different and, and every community. And it's just, it's lovely. It's lovely to step outside of everything I've always known and, and just be open to new people and stories. That's, that's, that's a beautiful thing. I wish, I think everybody, if they can, um, go do that. Absolutely. Check out new places. Go check them out. Yes. Check out new places. Like make it a priority. You know, even if you are going by plane, that's, it's just go check out new places. So people might be wondering, well, how did you guys like make a living while you were out on this boat? Like, because it two years on the boat, you, you still had expenses. You still had things that you had to deal with. Now they may not be the expenses that you'd have living where we do right now. Um, right. but, uh, you, I know, um, cause I followed along your journey on Facebook and everything, whenever you could post, you had some very interesting, um, ways of making money when you're out there. Yes. <laughs> you have to be creative. Um, that was one of the things that I obsessively worried about before leaving um, because that's a, a fear, right? I, I still am paying for graduate school. So I'm like, graduate school loan payments do not stop just right. because I want to travel the world. They do not care. So I was obsessively worried about that, and I did not trust that we were going to be able to make enough money. Um, one of the things that we did do is we cut our expenses way down. So that was one of our first moves. Um, the boat was paid off, and so we did not have any kind of mortgage. Um, of course, when you're out in the boat, you're not paying for things like electricity, water. Um, we stopped our Spotify and our Netflix accounts. You know, you stop all of your subscription accounts. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's money that you're not having to make. Um, and then we just knew we made a goal that we need to spend, we need to live on a thousand dollars a month. That's it. That's like, that's my rent is more than that. <laughs> right. Exactly. So we made a goal to spend a thousand dollars a month. I knew that, that 300 of that was for my graduate school loan payment. And, um, then the rest of that, we needed to spread out between fuel for the boat and, um, repairs when the boat breaks down, which would always happen. Um, in every new location, we had to buy something, find something for the boat. Uh, and then the rest was food. And then we also had some doctor visits in different countries. You know, we had to go to the doctor in Colombia and we had to go to the doctor in Puerto Rico. We had to go. So we just had to, to make sure that our expenses were kept really low. Um, so how do we make that money is a great question. Um, 
we were very creative. One, one way was I am a life, I am a wellness lifestyle coach. So I still did coaching when I could, when I had access to Wi-Fi or cellular data, I was able to do some coaching through, um, through that. And that was hard in some places, but I was able to get in quite a lot of coaching, which was wonderful. And another way that I was able to help bring in money was I did donation-based yoga. So every country that we went to, I would just put a piece of paper up or put a post out on a Facebook group, if I could find a Facebook group that was at that area, and say, hey, there's donation-based yoga. You know, come pay $0 if you want, but if you want to also pay in food or pay in money or pay in skills. You know, I had um, one class that had 40 students. Some people paid cash. Some people said, I don't have any cash to give you, but I'm actually an expert in boat engines. And you happen to have the boat engine that I'm an expert in. Can I come and spend three hours and work on your engine? Ooh. Yes, you can. In America, that would be $95 an hour to pay an expert. So you know, there was a lot of bartering. There was also, um, just let me make you, can I make you a meal? You know, I've been taking your yoga class now for four days in a row. Can you come, I'll make you a meal. And you know, they would create this delicious meal at a time that we would be hungry. So, (laughs) you know, it was a lovely give and take. Um, my partner at the time, he was able to make money by helping move boats or by helping, you know, work on things that he was an expert on. Um, so he's a captain, he has his captain's license. So if he was able to help in any way, that way, um, people would pay for your skills, they pay for your time. And they, that may be in many different formats, but we never, we never needed money. We always were able to make the amount of money that we needed to cover everything that we needed for two years. That's amazing. Yeah. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? And that, I mean, the fact that we fear so much, we fear money so much, but it is possible to find everything that you need to get what you need if you're creative, if you're willing to do things, if you're willing to show up, if you're willing to take whatever job, if you're willing, it's out there, it's available, it's possible. Yeah, that makes me feel so good because I recently had to go back to work and just as we're recording this, which will be months before this actually airs, had to take a job, which I never thought I would have to go back to like minimum wage job, but I needed something that works with my kid's school. Um, and finding an actual, like more than minimum wage job, that's going to let me work from like 9am to like three, 4pm. It's not going to, it's not going to appear out of nowhere. Um, so it hurt my ego a little bit, uh, to go back and do that, but Hey, you got to do what you got to do. And so like you said, you're, if you're willing to take that job and do that thing, then it's there for you. So I think sometimes we allow that ego to get in the way and be like, oh, but I don't want to have to do this thing. Right. That's, and you're, that's the key word. That's ego. It's definitely ego because instead of seeing it as just an opportunity to make money and achieve what you want to achieve for your family, 
we're thinking, oh, it's a minimum wage job. Like, oh, it's a job that I don't need a degree for. Oh, it's a job. We start this story in our head, but really it's like, no, that's, it's an opportunity to achieve what you're actually trying to achieve. Yeah. And yeah. it's okay to have buffer jobs. It's okay to have like a job that you keep for six months and then, you know, another opportunity will appear and then you make a new decision then, you know, and, and that's, it's more just a chain of opportunities as opposed to a type of job. Yeah. I love that. You said that, that made me feel, I was like, Oh, I needed to hear this today. Thanks, Sheena. <laughs> Good. It's important to remember. Well, I'd love for you to tell us what's happened since. Like, how did you get where you are today? I know you went through some, there was some rough things that happened. People yeah. might be wondering like, you know, what happened after you pull in two years after being, you know, how did you acclimate? Like all of those things. Right. So first I have to tell the story about why I came back to land, which is the fact that I, the part, my partner and I at the time, we um, got engaged in the middle of the Panama Canal where the two oceans meet. Very romantic. And, you know, there was a YouTube video about it and it got all these like hits and people were so excited for us. And about a month after that, we had a very serious conversation of asking if both of us were really genuinely happy and if both of our needs were getting met. And the answer came back a resounding no on both sides. So we had to have a tough conversation that basically came down to the fact that we were meant to be together for this journey, Mm -hmm. but we were not meant to be together beyond that journey. We needed each other in where we were in our personal growth of life at that time. And we needed each other when we were out in the middle of the ocean and had no one else, but it came down to he could, he could be happier and I could be happier in our future. And that didn't depend on us being together. So we made that decision in Panama and we decided to sail back to the United States. So for two weeks, we were offshore sailing, knowing that when we arrived back in the United States, that we were going to be going our separate ways. And that gave us two weeks to round out our story. It gave us two weeks of being in the middle of the ocean to grieve, to find gratitude to each other in this amazing journey we had just done, to be so proud of each other, and to really let go of the story of if you don't end up together, it was an unsuccessful relationship. Mm. It was a very successful relationship. And we were so thankful for our time together. But when the boat pulled up to Key West and our cell phones got reconnected to that American LTE, (laughs) we were able to tell our families that we were not going to get married and that our relationship was not a failure because of that. It was actually tremendously successful. And 
for me to really genuinely love him and for him to genuinely love me, we needed to go our separate ways. So that's what we did. We, I packed up my things from the boat. He stayed on the boat and I got a rental car and I drove back to my parents' house actually. And I spent two months really healing and really just practicing gratitude and figuring out, you know, what I needed to do to heal my heart. And he was going through the same process down in Key West on the boat. And, and then we both arrived at a place where after two months where we were good, we were good. I was good. I, I was stronger. I was changed. I was ready to move forward and so was he. And it was a lovely, it was hard, but also on the other side of it, looking back on it, it was, I'm very proud of us. I'm proud of you. That was the most mature breakup. Like I think I've ever <laughs> seen in my life. I know. I'm so proud of us. Just, I'm proud of us for that journey that we went on sailing together for two years. But then I'm proud that when the real test came, the real test to say, you know, do you actually love and care? Do you know what love and caring is? And for that love and caring to look like losing the person that you love and care for, and also, you know, read, you know, redefining your relationship, transitioning your, the way you talk to each other and the way that, I'm really proud of us that we were able to do that and to arrive on the other side of that full of gratitude and in no resentment, just no resentment in either one of our hearts. Uh, there is none of that. And we still talk to this day and we're still friends and, you know, I still want nothing but, but happiness for him and he wants nothing but happiness for me. So we went through that and I decided that I needed to, tackle something that I have always been afraid of, which is living in a space completely opposite from the ocean, which is the mountains. <laughs> so I moved, I packed up my clothes and put them in my car. I actually didn't even have to pack up my clothes. They were actually still, I just had to move them from the rental car to my car. <laughs> and I drove to Colorado. Took me 36 hours. I drove to Colorado and I started looking for jobs here. And I once again said I didn't want the ego to be part of any job that I took. So I took jobs. I started, I took a buffer job at Starbucks to get some cash to pay for the gas to move to Colorado. I worked there and had a great experience there. And then I left there after a few months once I had gathered enough cash that I needed to make the move. And I drove out to Colorado and then found jobs here. Started interviewing right away, found jobs, found a place to live, and just started rebuilding life here. And now I'm living in the mountains. I also got a tattoo to memorialize that. <laughs> so I have the two balancers on my body now, which is the feminine energy of the ocean and the masculine energy of the mountains. And both taught me different things. You know, the ocean taught me to, to trust more, to not be so fearful and to go with the flow. And the mountains have taught me to not be afraid to take up the space that I want and I need. The mountains don't apologize for how big they are. Mm -hmm. And I don't need to apologize for that either. 
So yes, that's a really short nugget version of what. (laughs) Oh, it was so It's so good though. There's so much there and, you know, hopefully one day you will publish your book and then people will have to. Yes, I will. I am. You are, you're going to do it. And then people will be able Mm -hmm. to learn from your story and your experiences. I mean, it's like you said, it's just a small nugget. There's so much there. I mean, it would take us hours and hours to, to cover it all. But I feel, I feel like you shared such valuable lessons from what you experienced like, and I, I can't thank you enough for that because even me, I'm like, oh yes, that was, you know, this is one of those episodes that I'll be like, I have to listen to the whole thing all over again when it airs so that I can get those nuggets all over again. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. That's very nice. Yes. And I mean, like, like you said, there's so much left out of the story. I don't want to make it seem like it was all easy. I cried a lot. I cried a lot. I banged my legs on the boat a lot. There was lots of bleeding, um, cut fingers, you know, rope burnt, rope burnt. I mean, there was hard moments too. It's there. And then even going through the breakup was not easy. You know, I, there were many things that I realized that I was looking for in someone else. I wanted, I wanted him to change because I wanted that change to prove that I was worthy of love. Mm. But asking someone to change is not proof that you are worthy of love. You know, you have to know you're worthy of love. And it's the same way I had to know I was worthy of that international travel for two years. You know, I don't have to stay on land in jobs I don't like. Like, I can do other things. And I am worthy of other things too. And so this, all of that was very hard. It was very hard for me. I cried a lot coming to all of these conclusions because there was a lot that I had to accept, a lot that I had to let go of, and a lot that I had to arrive at mentally, spiritually, physically in order to accept the gift that was travel, real love, you know, freedom, fearlessness. Um, those are gifts, and you have to arrive at them. And it takes work, a lot of work. Well, Sheena, as we wrap up the podcast today, I would love to have you um, just leave the Inspired Women audience with something. Like, what would you want them to know? It could be one thing. It could be a collection of things um, from this, this, this adventure you had, these adventures you've had. What would you want them to know? I want them to know that they're so so worthy of living the life they want to live. And that, that is going to take very scary, big leaps. And they will never feel sure. And there is no guarantee, but that they are still worthy of it. And going back to the time, We only get one life. So you don't have to negotiate with yourself and say, I don't deserve that life. I'll just wait for 40 years and then maybe that life will arrive for me. That life is never just going to arrive for you. You have to believe you're worthy of it. And then you have to do a lot of scary things to get it. But 
I want them to know that they're worthy. They're very, very worthy. Well, Sheena, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.